Hello and welcome to The Frontline, the LGBTI activism podcast from ILGA Europe. ILGA Europe is an international umbrella NGO that brings together and supports over 600 LGBTI organizations from 54 countries in Europe and Central Asia. We are your hosts, Belinda Deer and Keenan Russell, and in this episode we're going to be talking about the increasingly dangerous situation for LGBTI people in Poland and what can be done about it. Over the past number of years, LGBTI people have come under increasing attack from ruling politicians, religious leaders, and other public figures in Poland. This has come in the form of dangerous and false framing of LGBTI people as a threat to children and as a threat to Christianity. Such rhetoric has created an environment where anti-LGBTI sentiment is normalized, along with the growth of anti-LGBT resolutions, declarations, and charters adopted by numerous local governments in Poland over the past two years. Today, we'll be meeting a young gay man living in one of the LGBT free zones that have sprung up across Poland, and our team will be discussing how Europe can further respond. But first, I'm going to speak to Slava Melnik from the LGBTI organization KPH, or Campaign Against Homophobia, to get Polish activists' perspective. Hi Slava, thank you uh, so much for, for spending time today to, to join us here for, for this interview. It would be great to hear, um, given you know the past two years and so, what it's been like from your point of view uh, as an LGBTI activist in Poland. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, and I would just say, uh, to start with, the past two years were incredibly difficult for me as an activist, for us as the organization, and generally I think the movement um, has been through a lot for the past two years during this um, election marathon, as we call it. So um, that's a pretty easy question to answer, I'd say. Yeah. Do you get the sense that it has kind of increased in difficulty over the years so for example the past few months have been much worse than let's say 2019 or or has it been really a very consistent uh difficulty over the past couple of years um i would say we are on the roller coaster of homophobia and transphobia here in poland there were moments when it was incredibly difficult in the in the past and there were some uh weeks months where the situation was more or less okay we can uh, keep on going and uh, there were days and weeks where uh, things uh, have become unbearable and um, to be honest we were um, all hoping and there was this unspoken consensus between the activists that okay when the elections will be done uh, we will be you know left alone uh, from this political battle but it does not seem to happen this way now a few weeks uh, after the uh, elections and um, this this is just a very worrying signal for us. Yeah, and indeed it, it seems to be reaching a, a very extreme level. And but what is interesting is to see, you know, there's been a, a much bigger media coverage uh, recently, and over the last few days we've we've heard reports that uh, ordinary people in Poland are, are also hanging rainbow flags from balconies or trying to stop um, homophobic vans or generally speaking up um, against the homophobia. Um, from your experience, what is the public opinion now towards LGBTI issues? Because, of course, a lot of people see uh, the government homophobia as being indicative of uh, like the will of the people. Um, but it would be very interesting to hear what you've been seeing recently in terms of the more broad public opinion on LGBTI issues. 
I would say that, uh, that generally the public opinion and the people in Poland, uh, so of course it depends from the region or the size of the city, uh, let's say, but uh, the issue is very polarizing and uh, as in previous years, let's say four years ago, there was a clear picture of a movable middle, the people who do not necessarily have any idea what to think about the LGBTI people or LGBTI issues that now when it's on top of the public discourse, it's a number one topic in the um, uh, on the political debates, we see that the issue is very divisive and on one hand uh, the, the government uses uh, its strongest forces to attack the activists, uh, generally the movement. Uh, on the other hand, we see uh, enormous mobilization of people who are on our side and uh, it's very clear um, to judge that from uh, both the attendance of pride marches last year when the marches were happening all over Poland and the number of cities or where those cities were just showed um, that there was a huge uh, a huge mobilization not only from the LGBTI people or activists but also those who were standing aside of the issue before or straight allies. When I'm walking down the streets of Warsaw I think uh, Every other building has uh, a rainbow flag uh, because someone hanged it from the balcony as the gesture of solidarity and support for the um, for the movement. Um, secondly, the, uh, we see a big increase in uh, private donations to the organization, not only to the campaign against homophobia, but to others too. So, so clearly, when it gets worse, it gets better in some. No other way, but um, it's still a very, very uneven battle. Indeed, I think it's also interesting to see how um, people who are not usually involved in this, uh, let's say, topic on an international level are also now making statements. So I saw that today there have been some celebrities uh, writing to the commission about uh, about Poland and, and uh, the need to respect uh, anti-discrimination and so on. Um, I think it was Pedro Almodovar and someone else. So I, I hope that, uh, I guess it must be good to hear um, and to see happen yeah. uh, on an international level as well, that it's not just uh, politicians or activists, but also the general public on an international level supporting your fight. Yeah, yeah. And generally, this is something that we are also witnessing here as uh, for, for a number of years, uh, we were trying to build a momentum and uh, uh, to, to, to build on the straight line movement uh, here in Poland, uh, not really focusing on, on the international level, but as the situation got worse, especially in the past couple of uh, months leading to the presidential elections and things that were happening after, uh, we do not have to do anything to mobilize the, the support from the uh, let's say celebrities or um, people with uh, high authority from media and culture and TV, generally the celebrities that they're getting in touch uh, directly with us and we no longer have to put any effort to mobilize them. It just uh, shows how um, those who are standing aside saw, finally saw what homophobia is and suddenly it's not an abstract uh, thing that activists talk about. It has become something very visible, something they, they saw on the news of uh, on the public broadcaster, for example. Mm -hmm. Regarding the whole the whole situation currently and in, in the past couple of years, but particularly now, what are Polish activists' calls uh, to the European Union? Um, for example, we've seen um, recently that uh, 
that the Ministry of Justice of um, Poland has decided to kind of compensate towns who were not selected for the EU town twinning scheme. And actually, not only just compensated, but actually they get the kind of given more money. It's almost as if they're being paid to, to be LGBT free zone towns. What are your thoughts around this, uh, the idea of withdrawal of EU funds or, or the selective nature of EU funds? Um, do you think that this is helpful for your, for your situation? And it would also be interesting to hear um, your opinion on, on town twinning, because we, we also hear um, from a lot of activists, LGBT activists, and also just regular people from uh, towns asking us, you know, what can we do as twin towns of, of Polish towns in this situation? Yeah, well, generally speaking, I would say that uh, the withdrawal of selective treatment of the the financing scheme is a clear uh, signal by by the European Union to the Polish authorities, to local governments that okay, we're not only the economic union where you get the money from or and pay the money to, but uh, we're also a union of uh, of rights uh, and freedoms, and um, this is not fair that. You know, you you declare yourself as an LGBT free zone, and uh, which goes, which is very contradictory to to European values as we know, and so therefore you need to uh, make sure that everyone within your municipality is treated equally. Um, and I would say the first step should be that uh, the twin towns um, kind of make sure that the adoption of uh, such bills on the local level uh, is not happening and try to do, you know, some prophylactic measures against that. But mm, the situation with the Ministry of Justice, who uses, uh, because the, the, the compensation, the so-called compensation that um, he awarded to, to that one city is uh, from the um, Justice Fund, uh, which was created to help people who were the victims of crimes or those who are uh, trying to um, get back on feet after being, uh, on feet after being in prison. So. Clearly, him awarding money to uh, specifically build a fire station at the city—it just doesn't make you know any sense. Uh, the the money is not there to be used as a private uh, fund where the the minister of justice can award this or that city because he thinks they are discriminated against by the European uh, Commission, which is uh, complete nonsense, and it clearly shows that. Okay, homophobia pays off with this current government, and uh, this is this is a material for the uh, anti-corruption uh, mechanisms to investigate why the fund that is uh, uh, that that is supposed to be used for something is used for for completely different reasons. Mm-hmm. And is that uh, something that you're already on, already working on as activists in in investigating or calling for an investigation into? Uh, this preferred treatment of yeah. effectively homophobic towns. What we are aiming to do is to to get in touch with some of the uh, MPs that we are working with on this issue and bring their attention to the mistreatment of the funds by the uh, Ministry of Justice and see where that leads. But uh, knowing that uh, currently the the, the parliaments uh, and the government and the president are from the same parties. Uh, there is only so so much we can do, and uh, that generally the situation with the uh, Ministry of Justice is something that we are looking at from the angle of a future reconstruction of the government, uh, which is planned to be happening on 
uh, September in September, uh, where we see a clear kind of a divide between some of the members of, of the cabinet of ministers. Uh, so there are those who are actively homophobic and anti-civil society, and there are those who do not or try to not mention the issue at all. So it's a bit indicative of the internal power struggles uh, within the Law and Justice Party. Mm -hmm. What would be um, your message as an LGBTI activist uh, to the EU and to other international LGBTI activists looking for ways to support you? Uh, we're very looking forward for the European Union, for the foreign governments to make a clear statement that it's not okay to detain people uh, selectively on the streets just because they're participating in the LGBT march. It's not okay to selectively use the law and all the power uh, of the bureaucracy and justice system to uh, to treat some uh, people in one way and the others in similar situation in a different way and generally conditioning uh, any kind of cooperation with the Polish government on their implementation of the human rights and the way they, uh, they do things here would be very helpful and generally we want uh, very clear, crystal clear messages that it's not okay and uh, seeing uh, the day after the uh, situation where the 48 arrests were happening in Warsaw, the Prime Minister of Poland calling the European Union to condemn the violence uh, of the police on the streets of Minsk, which of course uh, is a very important thing, but not mentioning what has been done here in Warsaw is just incredibly frustrating. Thank you very much for, for talking to us. We'll continue working with you uh, in fighting for um, a day when the rights of all LGBTI people in Poland are, are fully respected and, uh, and will continue to, to work with the international institutions to see uh, how we can help ameliorate the situation. And good luck to you with all of the, all of the work that you're doing and, and take care of yourselves. Thank you. Thank you. As of June 2020, some 100 municipalities, encompassing about a third of Poland, have adopted resolutions for so-called LGBT-free zones. In July, reacting to the denial of EU funding to these municipalities, the Polish Prime Minister wrote to the European Commission, denying that LGBT people are being discriminated against. David Socha lives in Puave, a city in eastern Poland, which was declared an LGBT-free zone in 2019. We talk with him today about his day-to-day -day life and living in Puave. Hi, David. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. It's a, it's a real pleasure to talk to you. We're really glad to be able to bring your voice uh, into this discussion. So uh, something everybody wants to know is, how has your life in Puave been affected since it was declared an LGBT-free zone? Uh, actually, a lot because uh, when I first heard uh, about Puaw uh, being declared a zone free of the LGBT ideology, I was shocked and enraged, and I felt that I have to do something about it. That I have to somehow start being more active either in politics or in the uh, or in our society, so uh, I could somehow fight uh, what basically happened that time. Before then, I wasn't exactly keen on politics. Like sometimes I've I'd read one article or two, but 
I was exactly interested. But after it happened, uh, my attitude towards most of the things actually already changed. And I actually made a lesson about LGBT people in my class. I've started talking to people about it. I started participating in various projects, going to various either meetings or events uh, to show my support and uh, just show that I am because I myself am a LGBT person. And do you feel safe going out in Puave right now? It's hard to say, but I wouldn't say yes, but at the same time, I wouldn't say no, because uh, there are times where I really fear going out, uh, but there are times where I feel comfortable. Uh, often, though, I uh, don't feel the most comfortable in city. I think that's due to the fact that people seem to be kind of unwelcoming when it comes to LGBT minor minority in uh, our city. But maybe that's just... Uh, that's just my experience. Uh, mm -hmm. There are other people, LGBT people I know that live in Puave, but I don't know what is their stance uh, and their experience with Puave. Mine isn't exactly the best, but I still like the city, to be honest. Can you give us some examples of, of what it's like when it's not good? I think we can all kind of imagine what a normal outing into the city feels like, but what is it like when you don't feel safe? I just feel a sense of dread that uh, people pass by me might insult me. Uh, some people uh, I recognize from the streets uh, may uh, maybe even attack me because uh, I've heard from my friends who aren't LGBT that uh, it only takes going to a wrong place at a wrong time to basically get yourself bet. It sounds like a lot of fear has been brought into your life. You know, sometimes more, sometimes less, but certainly more fear than before. Yeah, yeah. I think that's maybe because I started to notice things I uh, wasn't uh, before. Like, I've just started to see things uh, that I wouldn't focus so much on. Like what? Uh, I think uh, about the what people, uh, what other people say about the LGBT minority, what uh, other people think about them because i've had friends that uh, were saying that they are ill people that they shouldn't exist and after i started realizing that these these aren't just jokes sometimes i, rea mm. I just realized what kind of people i lived next to uh, i see i see it kind of revealed something yeah um my best friend actually well he isn't my friend anymore who was actually the first person i uh, outed to uh, told him I was gay. Uh, he actually told me that such people as I shouldn't exist, that it is an illness and that, <laughs> yeah, this, this, uh, that such people shouldn't be going out on the streets. It was a year it was ago. so hard to hear from your friends. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was, he, was, he was my best friend and it was just like someone shattered, uh, shattered me. Yeah. I wanted to get your thoughts on your prime minister's letter to the commission. As I said in the intro to this section, the prime minister wrote to the European Commission denying that there is discrimination against LGBT people in the LGBT free zones. What do you think about that? Well, all I can say is basically he's lying and I think he knows he's lying. But mm. because like there is no way anyone hasn't heard about what is and what was happening uh, here in Poland. Because like the prime minister, there's no way a prime minister wouldn't know about the things that are happening. So he has to be lying. There's no other way. 
it's just disgusting to me how someone can uh, say such lies about people. Mm. Mm. One of the things that I know a good deal of the folks listening to our conversation will be wondering is what would you say to people who are outside of Poland, potentially even outside of Europe, about how they can support people in LGBT free zones like yourself? Well, uh, what lifts my spirit up and uh, what I think would be really, really nice uh, for them to do is to organize and uh, show that you support the LGBT minority here in Poland. Because I've seen uh, many events, uh, either in London or France, even in America, uh, that people were showing uh, us support and that could really brighten my day, brighten my mood, because it, it just gave me a sense of hope that uh, we aren't alone, that there are people who, if they would be able to, they would reach a hand out and help us. Mm. So, yeah, what, what I'd like people to do is to just organize, show support. But uh, what's also important is to contact your local uh, authorities, uh, as in politicians, and just talk to them about it, spread the information. Because I feel like many things aren't uh, aren't talked about, that there are some things that don't go uh, out abroad from Poland. So yeah, that's what I'd really like for politicians to get more interested in what's happening uh, right now in Poland. Mm. And one other thing I'd like to ask you about is outside of Poland, without being able to understand the Polish language, the incidents that uh, others learn about are perhaps limited because we don't see all of the news that you see. We don't know everything that's going on. Is there anything that's happening in Poave or in Poland generally that you think people should know about that hasn't made it into that international media or English language media sphere? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there, there are just, just so many things that should be out uh, in the media and uh, which aren't. It's uh, just it's kind of scary, I'd say, because uh, we had people uh, go out on the streets uh, screaming, uh, fuck LGBT. Uh, one person was actually uh, arrested for doing the Nazi salute. I haven't found this in foreign media. That's why I think it should be uh, just, yeah, just informed. Uh, people should be informed mm. about this. Uh, there is this one website that actually shows, uh, like you can say, crimes of things uh, uh, related to the LGBT community that can be classified as either hate speech or basically hate actions. Uh, sadly, it's currently down, but it should be up later. Uh, and on, the, on this website, there are uh, just many examples of what's happening uh, in Poland. Uh, a couple of days ago, I think it was a week, maybe two, um, there was uh, actually a, like a protest event, a right, uh, rightist event, where its, its name was Stop LGBT Aggression. And mm. uh, both politicians, because there were politicians and members of nationalist groups uh, were talking about LGBT people as people that are ill, people that are deviants, a disease, there were pedophiles, rapists. There's just so many disgusting words. It's even hard for me to hard for me to even uh, repeat what they said. Yeah. Because every sentence they uh, said was either filled with lies or hate, and it all and that's happened from, yeah, from the general public and from politicians. It sounds like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just 
disgusting uh, because often these people uh, say that they believe in God, that uh, what they're saying is was said by God. They just uh, abiding God's laws, but it's not that. Like I'm one hundred percent sure God wasn't about that. I myself. I'm not a religious person, but at the same time, I practiced uh, and learned about religion enough to know that Jesus wasn't about that. <laughs> and mm. I can be sure that Jesus wouldn't be saying such words. Mm-hmm. Indeed. The last question I'd like to ask you today, David, is do you have hope for the future in this moment? Yes, I think I, I, think I do because I have... I have friends that uh, support me. I have friends that uh, support LGBT people. Yeah, I, I just I just have hope because I also see on many protests, many happenings that there are young people, sometimes older people that come and are united uh, in one goal to live happily and live freely. And this just gives me a sense of solidarity, sense of a bright future, I'd say. Now, I'm with my colleagues at ILGA Europe, Advocacy Director Katrin Hugendubel and Senior Litigation Officer Arpi Avastizian, to discuss what's been happening in Poland in the wider European context. Katrin, I'll come to you first. From what you've been seeing over the past few years, how does what's happening in Poland fit into a trend? Um, hello, Keenan, and hello, everyone. Um, so, yeah, I think, unfortunately, what we've seen in Poland is fitting into a trend Namely, we have seen across Europe a, a rise in hate, but also real backlash on rights. So we've seen other countries also turning back protection on LGBTI rights, um, stepping away from commitments that they've been making. And what we've seen is that, unfortunately, very often it is really government-led discrimination and hate, political leaders inciting hate against the community um, under what they call pres- um, preserving a national culture. Um, to really rally up their own supporters. And all that is happening on the back of people. It's creating a, a real climate of hate um, and violence that, that we're seeing at the moment in Poland as well. But if I may add, I think it's also fitting into a positive trend of mobilization. So somehow the polarization is also working two ways. So we more and more, I think, see people standing up for people, people standing up for the LGBTI community, um, but also institutions slowly but surely getting louder and clearer um, in the face of of the the violence and discrimination um, that we all are seeing at the moment. That's interesting that you're seeing mobilization in a positive direction as well. Arpi, with your vantage point from litigation, do you see that positive trend of more actors standing up for the rights of LGBTI people in Europe? Clearly, uh, in terms of not from the litigation point per se, yes, because for litigation, cases need to go through the court system domestically. And if we're talking about external um, influence, external actors, then they need to get to European courts, uh, international tribunals. But one thing is clear that these actors can play a big role because what we're seeing, um, so many rights have been violated and there is uh, Poland is under obligation under the EU law, under the European Convention of Human Rights, uh, all major UN um, treaties that they have to support the rights of the LGBTI community. And um, 
hopefully the more cases come, uh, the more pressure can come on Poland to actually fulfill their obligations. And it sounds like that's pressure from external actors. Who are we talking about when we say external actors? I guess uh, external actors can be uh, different actors. If we're speaking here from the EU uh, institutional perspective, and Katrin can, uh, of course, um, be in a better position to add to this, uh, we're speaking about the the Commission, uh, the European Parliament, uh, but we also but that there is a role to play uh, by Council of Europe bodies, and the Commissioner for Human Rights has been quite vocal. ECRI, the European Commission on Racism and Intolerance, can play a role here, a big role. Um, and uh, the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe. Um, and obviously, so many UN special rapporteurs and uh, treaty bodies. So there is a wide range of external actors, and each of them uh, need to speak up because of the appalling situation and, and blatant violations of human rights. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe just to add, I mean, as Arpi was saying already, Poland is a member of the European Union. Poland is a member of the Council of Europe. And both memberships come with very clear commitments to fundamental human rights and the principle of non-discrimination, um, including LGBTI rights. And, and it's really the responsibility of both institutions to clearly hold Poland um, responsible on that. I think we've seen from the European Commission side, for example, um, a first action of taking a clear stance when Commissioner Dali rejected six applications of Polish authorities um, for EU funding for twinning um, activities because these local authorities had adopted um, the discriminatory family rights charters. So we need to see more action like that. But I think we also need to look broader at, at external actors. I mean, if we look at EU level, for example, the European Union is not only the, the parliament and the commission, it's also the member states. Um, so it's also a question of how other EU countries are actually talking to their Polish counterparts, the Polish government um, in the council formations. I think there's a question at the moment how the German presidency is taking this up, actually, with the Polish government, uh, a German government that at the beginning of its presidency has been very outspoken on defending LGBTI rights. Um, so all of these things are, are indicators on how serious, actually, the European Union is also holding up its own principle of non-discrimination. When I talked about mobilization before, I think the nice thing to see is that also other actors are coming to the scene. So we've received many questions from towns, for example, that have already twinning arrangements, asking how they should act. And also there, there there's a lot of room for critical but constructive dialogue. So there's a lot of space for not only saying this is not okay, but actually encouraging also those forces in Poland, which are still trying to do the right thing, are, are standing up for LGBTI rights and kind of standing closely with them. And, and also companies have started to ask how they can be supportive. And I think all of that is, is kind of new areas of external actors that we, together with Polish activists, are looking more and more into how to fully bring them on board. So I feel like this leads really well into talking about how people can help or support. So from our perspective at ILGA Europe, what are the best ways for people to get involved and help support Polish LGBTI people? Yeah, I mean, as, as I said before, I think one, one thing that really resonated um, with the Polish LGBTI community was uh, the very clear action from Commissioner Dali 
um, regarding the, the funding applications. And we need to see more of that. I mean, we, we know and we're working together with Polish activists at the moment on kind of um, bringing forward complaints on how these family rights charters are actually introducing discrimination into Polish authorities. And that's actually make also the, the decisions on how EU funding is spent on, on local, regional, and national level um, not fully in line with the principle of non-discrimination anymore. And Arpi can say a little bit more about that. Just to say there's also really a lot of individual complaints coming forward now, uh, and we need to see stronger reactions um, from all of the three EU institutions. So as I said before, from the Commission, from the European Parliament, but also from the council um, on kind of these violations um, that we see from the Polish government side. Um, indeed, uh, we're working on a complaint and that there are so many areas that actually these um, charters are violating. And uh, as we talked about, the broader human rights violations. Uh, but of course, there's a clear case law, for example, under the um, uh, Employment and Occupation Directive that just mere uh, declarations, they are already in violation of EU law. Um, we've seen earlier this year uh, um, a judgment uh, concerning an Italian case and the declaration, the public uh, statements that, for example, people, persons would not be recruited uh, in certain posts or in general uh, based on their sexual, sexual orientation uh, is in breach of the directive, is in breach of EU law. And we need to voice these concerns as well. And uh, importantly, the Commission needs to take steps concerning this. This can result in uh, discussions with the Polish government. This can result in a case um, before the Court of Justice. There are so many ways that this can go forward and uh, hopefully bring change um, in following EU law. If I if I may add to this, um, Keenan, before moving to the next question, I think what what we're seeing at the moment is the Polish government trying to play a game of moving from being the perpetrators to actually being the victims. So there's an attempt now with a, a a letter and a statement from the Polish government to say that actually the European Commission is not respecting how Poland. Mm is um, supporting traditional families, is supporting traditional values. And I think that's the myth that we are trying to, to really counter, but we also need to see other governments and institutions like the Council of Europe and the European Union institutions to counter, to really take a proper legal look as we're doing in that complaint now and actually dismantle that story of these family charters being about protecting families and actually really laying open how they are being discriminatory against LGBTI people, how they're violating um, the rights of LGBTI people and how they are thus infringing and violating different pieces of EU legislation. And that gives a clear ground for the European Union to start infringement procedures. It gives a clear ground um, for European institutions to speak out against the actions of the Polish government. What do you think is the long-term perspective here? How do Polish activists not only build strategies, but also resilience at a moment like this when there's just so much pressure coming from the national government? Well, I think at the moment, um, 
they're really in the middle of the storm. I think there is a, there's an extreme exposure to, to hate, an extreme exposure to violence, but also an extreme demand on, on activists. Because I think what I said before with the growing mobilization, of course, that also increases in another way the pressure and the ongoing requests and demands Polish activists are getting. So what we as Ilga Europe are actually trying to do, I think, over the, the coming months, but also well into 2021, is to, to see together with activists, how can we create safe spaces um, for them to kind of come together, take a step back um, and try to think uh, amongst each other. So in a really broad range of organizations that we've seen so closely and so well working together over the last uh, years, um, to think together on more medium-term strategies. And I think where a lot of that thinking probably will go is working with different actors. So if you have a completely hostile government, um, you know, who are other institutions, who are other actors in your country you can work with? We've seen this We've seen these um, reflections in other countries. It's also about then building support on local level. It can be about building support with professional associations. And so really building up change from the ground and from local level rather than um, through a kind of, I'd say, more traditional government-oriented um, advocacy policy. And to kind of really try to support the, the, the resilience um, and the cooperation that that been seeing but it, it's hard. And, and I think we, we just fully need to acknowledge that at the moment, I mean, as I said before, um, they are right in the middle of it. And it's it's very, very hard to look for these kind of um, longer term strategies when, when you're when you're stuck in the middle. Arpi, I'm sure you have more to add here. Yes, fully. I agree with Katrin is saying. And also the um, scope of the impact that we see that, uh, that this various declarations and uh, the hate speech and everything is bringing to the lives of LGBTI people, uh, directly um, addressing, you know, employment. Uh, people are worried, even if they're self-employed, that, uh, that they're uh, going to be in trouble, basically. Uh, freedom of movement is a big issue and people are worried about their family members. Um, so here as well, uh, I think the support that the community is in need and this mobilization is, of course, helping them, but also to to, to show solidarity to all these people that uh, it's possible and there is rule of law and they just need to speak up uh, and to make sure that their voices are heard and addressed. I think it's also very important. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, one thing we, we have clearly been seeing also in other countries already is, of course, the growing role of strategic litigation in, in, in many contexts across Europe. And I think that that discussion will most likely also continue to play a, um, a role when talking about, about Poland. So it's kind of it's kind of to, to use strategic litigation where actually, you know, the, the, the advocacy work with the parliament and the government is not moving forward and you're then calling the courts, including the, the Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg, to actually support um, moving the protection of LGBTI rights forward um, on national level. But also, as I said before, I think it's really important to keep an eye on the 
How are we working with those who now want to become more active on LGBTI rights? How are we working? How are we not getting stuck in just looking at, you know, in the face of the, the government-led um, discrimination, but actually then reaching out to all the other actors um, that are possible, so be it from um, a supportive equality body, but but as I said before, it could be doctors' associations, it could be teachers, it could be parents, it could be it could be all kinds of groups um, within society that actually you know help us build longer term and sustainable strategies forward, and and we've seen that in other countries, and so. I'm sure we'll get to that conversation in in Poland as well. We just, as I said before, we just really need to see to create those moments because they don't. I think if if when such a storm is happening, they do, these moments just don't happen by themselves, and it's extremely hard to take that step back um, and look for new ways to continue your work. I really do hope um, that you know both through our policy work, but also through our programs work, we can play a a role in supporting Polish activists in that. That seems like a good note to end on, a hopeful look forward to a place where activists feel supported and that we're holding the role in a way that we should. So I'd like to say thanks very much to you both, Katrin and Arpi, for having this conversation with me. And we'll continue this work supporting Polish activists, as well as looking to bring in more external actors. Thanks for joining me. This has been The Frontline, and we've been talking about the situation for LGBTI people in Poland. For a complete, up-to-the-moment timeline charting the rise of state-sanctioned homophobia and transphobia in Poland and its consequences, visit the link in our episode description. Thank you for listening, and if you liked what you heard, please subscribe for more. Tune in next time when we'll be traveling further on the front lines of LGBTI activism in Europe and Central Asia.